If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. This week, Janine and Gregor choose their favourite British recipes from their cookery book collection and discuss the evils of jelly. We're celebrating World Gin Day and National Martini Day with a tour around London's top bars, learning how to make the perfect martini, its history and its future. And just to keep the balance, we explore the world's obsession with smoothies with the team behind Healthy Vegetarian Recipe website and cookery book authors Green Kitchen Stories. So this month we are continuing to celebrate all things British to coincide with our lovely special British issue. And this week we've got Janine, our food editor, and we've Gregor, our chief sub production editor and writer, and they're going to be telling us their favourite British recipe. So this week we have both picked a recipe from uh, one of our favourite books, which kind of showcase uh, British cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, my recipe is from The Prawn Cocktailiers by Simon Hopkinson and Lindsay Barham. Um, I don't know if listeners are uh, familiar with them. Simon Hopkinson was um, a chef. Most famously, he founded Bebendum. Um, and Lindsay Barham is a brilliant food writer. Simon Hopkinson still continues to do food writing, as does Lindsay. Uh, but this book is actually published at the end of the 90s. Uh, the idea of the book was that a lot of um, classic British food and actually other food was falling out of favour um, because it, it become it become really unfashionable. So things like prawn cocktail, black forest gateau, egg mayonnaise as a starter, gammon and pineapple. Um, Interestingly enough, all of that food has now come back and is on trendy menus all over the place. So again, they were kind of precursors to the the idea of, you know, the revival of all those recipes. And um, and their their whole ethos is all of these recipes were, were good for a reason. It's just that they went out of fashion because people kind of you know, treat them in the wrong way. So the whole book is about bringing them back and um, treating them with the love and respect they deserve. Um, the recipe I've chosen 
I've actually chosen it deliberately to bake, to bake Gregor <laughs> because I, I know it. he doesn't like it. <laughs> um, and it's tri- it's good old trifle, um, a British classic. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, w- strangely enough, lots of people really love it, apart from Gregor. Um, and one of the things that pushed me towards this recipe is that I've got strong views about how trifles should be put together okay. and, and they agree with me. So obviously <laughs> so you're right is yeah. what you're saying. So um, so they think it should be kept really simple with a base of either sponge or some kind of um, soft biscuit and then just a homemade jam or a really good quality jam, a layer of custard and then some freshly whipped cream but there is no place for jelly because, as they say, jelly is an abomination. And I completely <laughs> agree with them. I don't know whether anyone else does, but um, I think jelly has no place in trifle. It looks pretty, but the idea of custard and jelly and sponge, it's the jelly and sponge it together. Is, is that, that really bittiness. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's when the sponge meets the jelly is when... I sort of just want to leave the room. Yeah. Actually, maybe that is why I don't like trifle yeah. Yeah. Um, because it is indeed the bittiness. Yeah, is, that's what that's what's always put me off. Yeah. So maybe actually, I would love your trifle. Yeah, there you go. so yeah. let me make you a trifle without jelly, and maybe I can change your mind. Yeah, I'm open minded. What about the coloured sprinkles on top, though? Well, again, they have got very particular views on this, which is it should be finished with silver balls and angelica. Indeed, and okay. There's no, Interesting. There's no room for sprinkles. Okay. So I I think you know if there's a prescription for a good trifle there that's it and I mean again in this book there's lots of other lovely things there's an amazing recipe for omelette Arnold Bennett which I'm going to try and make um and as um Simon and Lindsay say it's one of those recipes that you kind of look at and go so you've got an omelette plus bechamel plus cheese plus fish plus hollandaise on the top yes (laughs) that is how it's made so um I think it's it's a really lovely book to read as well because it's got lots of anecdotal intros about how they came to this recipe, how they've sort of improved it. They're not trying to put a twist on everything. They're just trying to take the elements of the recipe that make a good good recipe and and make it the, the best possible version of that. So please do seek it out. And um, that's my tip for the week. Wonderful. Well, talking about uh, about lovely fish dishes, um, the, and and um, the Arnold Bennett, of course, was was, uh, the, was was it the chef of the Savoy or the Ritz that made it up I think for it was Arnold? Savoy, yeah. Ben, but then he, he would there. make uh, places. He, other hotels he went around. He would give them the recipe and oh, I love that you know, sharing the love. Yeah. And so it's, it was for it was for the author of Anna of the Five Towns, wasn't that's it? Right, and, yeah. and so forth. And um, I also like a, a dish that's something of an invention, but was more of a um, historical uh, accretion, I guess, um, from uh, from colonial days because it's kedgeree, which is something mm. that really takes mm. me back to childhood. Yeah. Um, it was it was one of my dad's favourite things that my mum ever made in fact even made up a song about Kedgeree please do share I'm not going to I'm not going to sing not sing it but but, um, he used to sing it whenever she'd made it and uh, he got so excited by Kedgeree and uh, so it's something that I didn't eat for years but then I've I've gone back to and it really really takes me back to childhood and I love it and there's a really good version of it from the the River Cottage Fish book from 2007 uh, Hugh Fernley Whittenstall and Nick Fisher and uh, he and I've, I used his version for quite a long time. Um, there's another one that I use sometimes that uses risotto rice, which is like a herby, extra spicy yeah. one. But this is far more 
what I would recognise as a traditional kechari. Of course, it was kechari, I think, as it was called in India. Yeah. It's, it's more of a, a lentil and a, and a vegetable yeah. dish, mm-hmm. but by the Anglo-Indians, they, they, added, they added fish to it because fish had to be eaten for breakfast there. It was so hot because it would go off by oh, lunchtime. But when uh, mm. but when you got across, when it, they brought it back to the UK, smoked haddock was is the thing that's most mm, usually yeah. used in it. Um, and I like to use undyed um, haddock. I wouldn't use smokies in it because I think they're so nice on their own. Yeah, yeah. Arbol smokies that is. <laughs> um, or or a uh, thinning haddie, which is another type of smoked haddock from Scotland, which is also lovely on its own, but um, which is really good with poached eggs. Anyway, <laughs> this uh, th- th- this recipe, you, he uses lovage and coriander in it. Such rather than, a great flavour. Rather than uh, parsley. And I did, at the time I started making this, have an enormous bush of lovage in my garden. Okay. Um, it's the only time I ever did it. It really gets carried away in case you're ever thinking about <laughs> it. And it's very hard to use in anything. But you can use it in this. But you can actually, it goes nicely with mussels and cider. Yeah. You can um, if you're doing if you're doing that, um, but uh, uh, parsley is the flavour that I recognise most with it. The other variation I have to his recipe is that he just puts the eggs on top, whereas yeah. I like to mix half of them chopped mm. through it. Great, it's very delicious. And is the rice fluffy or is it creamy? Because you said it's you like creamy. Because the... I use milk. He uses half half water, half mm. whole milk. I just use uh, semi-skimmed milk when I use all that. So you poach the fish in it first of all, then you keep the milk, and then you put you cook the rice in the milk so that it's creamy. But then you fry the onions in some butter, and then uh, so put, and he uses curry powder. I now use garam masala, but I put that with the onions, and then uh, then you put in the rice, stir it through, and then add the fish back in. Then of course you mix in the the salt, pepper flaked fish by then it's cooled down a bit enough for you to flake it the chopped uh, the chopped uh, eggs and then uh, chopped parsley chop it quite finely and then with lemon juice Mm. and single cream oh single cream (laughs) it's really really good because I love Fish dishes of of um, and rice dishes yeah, of fish all and kinds. egg and rice is just it's, a it's much better really combination. Yeah, so, so I love paella is one of my very favourite things and um, arroz banda, which is the just fish stock with the um, with the aioli on it. Um, it's another Spanish fish, fish rice, beautiful. And then there's another one I used to make for ages, and I never knew the name of it because I'd ripped it out of a newspaper. <laughs> Portuguese one, which is very wet. Okay. Um, and it is called arroz de marisco, but uh, I'd ripped out of a newspaper and lost the bit at the top. But it was, it, it, it was, <laughs> it was, it was excellent. But, um, but the, the kedgeri, beautiful, takes me back to childhood. And that is an absolutely perfect version yeah. of it. Um, sometimes I put cayenne pepper on the top as well because that sort of reminds me of what my yeah. mum used to do as well. Very nice. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, and always serve it with uh, with uh, some kind of chutney. Uh, to begin with, I always had it with um, the classic mango chutney, but I've discovered that Victorian chutney works really well with it. Interesting. Um, it's really, it's, and it also it makes me, I don't know, think of some kind of ersatz authenticity, <laughs> which is a contradiction. <laughs> Sounds really lovely. Good. Sounds so good. Okay, so definitely go out and buy these books and try these recipes. And we've got lots of twists on these recipes on olivemagazine.com as well. We've got a great kitchery recipe by a Cricket Restaurant in Brixton. Mm. And we've got some really speedy um, kedgeree recipes by Janine on the website too. We and some lovely trifle well, recipes I think, as well. I think we've even got, unfortunately, trifles with jelly in there you but, go. You know, so if you like it we've got that as well <laughs> catering Don't to worry. all needs yeah. <laughs> as ever on olivemagazine.com 
So, Sarah, uh, this weekend is a very exciting one, isn't it? It is indeed. For one reason, and that is because it is World Gin Day on Saturday. Yeah, the best day of the year. Yes, it's in my calendar. I am very excited. I have got all the gins at home ready and waiting. <laughs> <Home selection. laughs> yeah. And then next weekend, it's actually National Martini Day. So okay. we've got two weekends in a row. What a summer. I know. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So how are you celebrating, please? Um, so I celebrated by going on a martini tour around London with Alex, who is our editorial assistant and digital writer. Um, and we visited three of the top bars in London. Okay. And we learnt all about martinis. Everything, what a great lesson. Everything you need to know. Any school was like that. I feel like it's a real life skill. Yeah. You I have, mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. You should know how to make a good martini. <laughs> So here are Sarah and Alex on their martini tour in London. We're starting off at Dry Martini, which is the 11th outpost of Dry Martini around the world. This is in London in the Amelia White House Hotel, which is uh, Great Portland Street. So we are going to learn how to make a dry martini in the perfect way. So <laughs> hand over to our lovely bartender. Hello, guys. My name is Craig, uh, bartender here at Dry Martini, Amelia White House. Um, today I'm going to prepare for you our signature uh, ritual serve of the dry martini. Obviously being a dry martini bar we have to be pretty good at making dry martinis. <laughs> so first thing we're going to do, we're going to chill the iconic dry martini mixing glass. And the mixing glass is huge, Absolutely. by the way. <laughs> so just make sure that's nice and chilled. And then what we're going to do, just discard the, what, the dilution. Now you can't see this, but where I'm standing, I'm really not going to move more than two steps all the time. So underneath me, right here, I have nine freezers, nine trays, and that is where we keep our frozen glass, okay? So usually, you know, we would serve automatically, we would serve with an, a manzanilla olive. It has a very nice saltiness to the drink as well. Not like dirty martini, it's not overpowering, but at the end you have a very nice saltiness in the back of your throat if you're going to eat it after. But with the... With the tankery martini, we're going to use a nice grapefruit zest. You know, just give off that kind of compliment the generous. Okay, so when we are pouring, uh, when we are making the dry martini, sorry, we are free, free pouring behind the bar. You know, showing the guests that we know exactly what we are doing here. Sometimes we get a wee bit lucky, depends how busy it is. You know, so I'm going to pour about 50 ml. And then literally two dashes of the dry vermouth. So now we're going to start it. Most of the time it separates a good martini from a bad martini is a dilution. That is the key ingredient, you know, so we don't want to stir for too long. When we start, we control the dilution. Uh, but if I over stir, you're going to be able to feel that you're not going to feel the, personal, the true personality of the gym. So around 30 seconds, not even 30 seconds. And it's important. Um, what kind of ice Yes, of course. Well, you know, if we use, uh, we have very good ice blocks here, but if we were to use crystal clear ice, for example, the dilution is not going to be the same. You know, so it's going to take longer to dilute. So yeah. then again, the martini is going to be a lot stronger as well. As you can see, this glass is nicely frozen right now. So I got lucky there, poured it perfectly. My manager will be nice and happy with that. <laughs> and then, just as I said, for the essential oils of the grapefruit, we'll just spray over the glass. Not too close, because we don't want the bitterness. We want the bitterness to drop and the good oils to come spread over the glass. Okay, so nice aroma. The grapefruit was being waved around the top of the glass. And then we're just going to pop a nice zest in there. 
as I've been preparing this drink, the glass has been sat on a tray the full time, and I've not touched the glass since the moment I brought it out. The reason for that is when we present it to the guest, the martini is born, more or less, you know. So only that customer who's drinking it should touch the glass. So this wow. also creates a connection between me and the guest. So wow. when I present it to the guest, oh, thank you. You take that, you know. I don't want to drop it. <laughs> Care's gone into so that, that's it, you know, that we don't touch the glass, it's uh, part of our ritual, only the customer. Okay, you know. okay. I feel very special. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the dry martini uh, dry martini in this case. Wonderful, cheers. Thank you very much. So we are here with Alessandro, who has been at this hotel for 20 years. Is that 10 years. 10 years. Ten years. Sorry, my mistake. No, it's okay, no, no, I was here a little bit as a young, as a bartender, but since I took over, it's about 10 years. Okay, and Jeeps is famous for its martinis. It's because we do the proper way. As you can see, I just brought the number 10, the tankery number 10 from the freezer, and the glass is from the freezer. When you make a martini, martini is a very simple cocktail. But because we want to respect the ingredients, it's a bit like Italian food. Yeah. We want the ingredients to talk. So what we do in our martini, just for instance, I was explaining, in the frozen glass, I put a little bit of our own vermouth. So the vermouth is not commercial, because okay. a martini's got three ingredients. Vermouth, gin, and lemon. Like anything, it depends how you treat the ingredients. So this is my own vermouth, which we do in the north of London, just for drinks, with all the British botanical. And there's wine from Italy. And you can smell, obviously, your listener cannot. Oh, wow. And then yeah. it goes in the carpet. I the yeah, yeah. He's genuinely shaking it into the carpet. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Martini is a hobby. I, I'm actually the carpet cleaner now. <laughs> but if you smell it... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's why. It's, the smell is so intense. That's it. Yeah, Because this so is 23.8 ABV. And there's a lot of warm wood. And then they start the show. Tanqueray 10. Now, as you know, these are people spending time to make... So all I do from the freezer, and you see the viscosity. Yeah. So that's very important because the first step, very important, is the temperature. Yeah. So that's what we respect. So it's very, very cold. Because martini is very important. It's to sip, it's not to drink. And then the magic things happen. Those are organic lemon from Amalfi. And wax. And this is what, when people say to me, well, there's no secret. It's just, again, respect of the product. And then I just squeeze the oil. You see? Yeah. Now, the viscosity allowed the organic oil to float on top. So your first few sips, what comes to your nose is the citrus. Now, in Tanqueray 10 also, it's got uh, grapefruit, it's got lime, it's got orange, so it's got quite a lot. I had an extra citrus factor, which is very important. And then I rim the glass, and this is the Duke's Martini. This is why our Martini are very famous because we respect the cocktail. That's all it is. So there's, there's no stirring, there's no dilution. It's no, because uh, stirring I usually was created to, the, to make it cold, because any cocktail is very important, it's cold. Yeah. We decided to do different, because the fat is frozen, that's the main thing. Because what you're trying to do is to cool down the drink. Yeah. But also it's dangerous of, you may be diluted too long. Today's we live in a busy time, in the old days, there are the many, many staff in the bar. We cannot afford that. So we, this is allowed to go faster, but to serve the martini properly. 
and also most of all not to destroy the, the, the men's style. That's the most important thing. And now you have to sort of explain to your listener while I make the other one. Prego. So you see the oil floating. So when you're going to have a sip, first thing it comes is the nose and then you feel the tank returning the strength. Try. So what's that on the top? The oil from the lemon. It's so fresh. It's so obviously it's the same basic ingredients as you've had, but it's so much fresher. And the lemon really comes through. And it is pure booze. There's been no dilution. Yeah, I was going to say there's no ice. But you in don't there. because it's so cold. You don't feel it's a lot thicker. Right. But you don't feel that alcohol burn that you would maybe think you would. I'm sure we're going to feel it later, though. <laughs> With frozen alcohol, we have to, it's called a delay reaction. So the idea is you sip it. That's what we're trying to explain to people. Because also, another thing's happen. Like I said, first you, 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 you smell the lemon, then you feel the number 10. Yeah. Then as the martini becomes a little bit warmer, the oil goes down and change again. It's yeah. a very simple process. That they actually work, and it's a very simple cocktail. Yeah. And like I said, when you make a good product, why do you want to destroy it with ice? And my philosophy, I mean, this town, London, is great, but it's got a lot of rain. Yeah. So I don't want to put water in the drinks. <laughs> and so where does the martini come from? What's the history of Origin is from the States. The, the first time, uh, I would say, the grandfather is from the town of Martinez. The first vermouth wasn't dry vermouth, it was a red vermouth yeah. made from the Carpano family in, in the Piemonte. Right. And uh, in about 18, I forgot the exact date, this bartender mix <clears throat> the red vermouth with gin. But not through choice, it was a, in the actual town of Martinez, there's a big stone who actually tells the story. Also, there's a little bit of a legend saying the, saying the client couldn't say the third one, Martinez, so he said Martini. For me, the real Martini came from New York, okay. the Nicaragua Hotel, right. where this gentleman, Almatasio Martini, that was his name, discovered dry vermouth, which came much later, a London dry gin. So his Martini would be with a few drops of orange bitter, dry vermouth, and then a London dry gin and twist of lemon. So that is the actual history. So we've lost the bitters? Yes, we lost. Some people still do it, the orange bitter. Because again, obviously you have to understand the ingredients in those days were completely different. They're not sophisticated as we have today. Especially when you come in the States with gin. In the States they were much more popular, old Tom gin. Which is a different. A little sweeter because often it was badly distilled, so they had sugar. That's the, now it's... It's different. Now you get some really good old Tom Jim. Obviously, you guys can't see this, but there's a really beautiful trolley that Alessandro brings around to, to your table if you order the martini. And how old is the trolley? Because it looks, it's beautiful. Dark wood and, and gold. I have to give you, I actually designed this trolley <laughs> with a friend of mine. You know, I want to do something. The original trolley is there. You can see it. Oh, okay. And the cat. Yeah. So a friend of mine is a carpenter. I designed from this spot and I said to him, I want something that looks older than me. And we are cheap. <laughs> and often, because also, you have a, the candle number plate, which is 1908. That is a two very important uh, year. 
One when Jukes became Jukes Hotel from a private house, and also is the same year Mr. Fleming, Ian Fleming, was yes. born. Yes. And that's why I put on the trolley. And this is where he got his inspiration for, for Shake and Austin. Yeah. And so because there's no dilution, I've heard a little rumor that you have a limit on how many customers you order. <laughs> because the dangers is uh, frozen alcohol, it's got a delay reaction. Right. Okay. So that's why we tell people take your time. One of the things we don't like to rush people. We are happy if someone takes 20 minutes, half an hour for each martini. Yeah. That's, uh, that's what is very important. If we see someone drink very quickly, it's not experience. We're trying to warn or we want to each other. If you ask for the second one, we make them wait. Sometimes we don't even do the second one. You will feel, because you say about in an hour. Yeah. Yeah, but you know how to drink it, so you know. No, 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 no. No, no, it's all, the main thing is to take your time. That's it. Not to rush. Way of life, exactly. <laughs> we brought back here. We brought back here, yeah. Okay, so third and final stop on our little martini tour is Dandelion, which is my favourite bar in London. They're all about modern botany. It's very forward thinking, incredible, incredible drinks, incredible team. And we're going to be speaking to Ryan, aka Mr. Lion of White Lion and Dandelion fame who is going to talk to us a little bit about the future of the martini. So we've been to Dry Martini, we've learned how to make the perfect martini, we've been to Dukes, we've learned about all the history. You guys are all about modern botany and kind of the future of the drinks world. You're like leading the charge. So where do you think the martini is going to go? What's next? Well, I think it's, you know, a lot of the things that we do have always focused on innovation and trying to do things differently. But to me, we ultimately make classic cocktails. That is, I, I don't really see anything we do as being particularly, it's not that it's not trying to be cutting edge and, and trying to find new ways to explore flavors and experiences, but it's, it's essentially just finding new ways to, to update things that we, we love and our kind of familiar flavors, con, like kind of formulae that we know work and are iconic. And it doesn't really get more iconic than the martini in that way. It's the, you know, to me, I've, I've said this numerous times, it's my ultimate like not just an aperitif it's my perfect it's like one of those life's perfect moments things where you you know especially you catch up with a loved one you have a martini before dinner and it's it's, it's essentially just a perfect snapshot of, of, of some downtime it seems something like, I suppose seemingly very very simple but it involves a skill it's not something you can just innately take to you need to be able to put a bit of dedication into making it great um, and it's, the, you know, the, the, the complexity that comes from its simplicity is, is one of the things that's most exciting, especially when you're trying to do new ways to update that. Because to me, a, a, a kind of like a, like a, a, a twist or an update of something like the martini isn't about tearing it apart and doing something that kind of shies away from that kind of holy trinity of, of ingredients. It's about finding things that, well, new connections in it, new ways of, of maybe presenting it, having a new way of showcasing it. And, you know, we did things like the, the bone dry uh, uh, white line, which was really looking at a textural idea. It's a really simple, I mean, it, the, the name in itself is a, is, is a reference to an old star. So for those who don't know, explain the bone dry martini. Well, it's, it's vodka and bone, um, <laughs> which doesn't sound very appealing. You get a bit used to this once you know Ryan and the team a little bit. You're kind of like, nothing phases you anymore. They've got embalming something yeah, in the sauce. latest yeah. yeah in the latest menu you kind of get a bit blasé like oh yeah that's fine yeah well I, I mean I'm glad to hear that because it's also it's the idea of it not being for gimmick it's, it's there for a, a real reason and with the bone it's it's there to give a mineral edge 
So we roast chicken bone and dissolve it in phosphoric acid. Uh, and so it's this really kind of drying tincture. So you've got the texture of a vodka martini, which is clean. It's about the, 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 the weight of the spirit, washed over your palate, and then this lovely kind of Burgundian style flintiness down the center of it. So it's it's really crisp. And that to me is is great for a vodka martini. When you look at a gin martini, that harmony between gin and vermouth is, is what that beautiful symbiosis is about. You know, you've got the, the botanicals married together. So how else can you look at ways of, of updating that relationship? I mean, it's great. There, there are more products coming to market, even innovations on old ones. You're seeing kind of Kina Lile kind of like reproduced with people's kind of kinkinas and different styles of vermouth in that way. Uh, and you're getting people finding new botanicals that are come from, you know, there's a Australian vermouth that uses Australian wines and Australian botanicals. And all of these different products are, are, are finding ways of, are taking something historic and, and adding a new twist to it. So we kind of do similar things. We try and find ways of updating it. And sometimes it's it, it's our ability to be able to go behind the scenes and play with that stuff. So we do a martini that's got the dryness of, um, you know, the, the, the crisp acidity of the vermouth, uh, but more of the gin up, up front, but we can add a, a creaminess instead of it being ultra dry. It can actually have a, a, a textural agent that's away from the kind of classic martini setup. It's all about knowing kind of what you like and what style of martini you're looking for in the first place as to what you order. People are a bit intimidated by ordering a martini. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a drink that people can be a little scared of. I think the the touch point is obviously things like Bond. So yeah. people go, right, I'll, I'll order that drink to look and feel sophisticated, which can be great because it, it very much is that drink. But it can, you know, if you order it just for the sake of doing that, then you can end up with something maybe a little challenging in terms of a style of drink. But there is a, there's a martini for everybody. And it's about finding the right setting, the right occasion, the right combination that works for the palate in that space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's where a friendly neighborhood bartender is always <laughs> the, uh, the key. So just to recap, those bars we went to were Dry Martini, uh, Duke's Hotel and Dandelion. You can go every day of the week. They'll always be there. Um, and if you want to try your hand at your own Martini Masterclass at Dry Martini, then you can do that. Just give them a call Amazing. and book in. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. Next up, Janine, our food editor, speaks to David and Louise, the Scandinavian couple behind Green Kitchen Stories, about our recent love affair with smoothies and why they're the perfect kickstart to your day. Hi, so today we're welcoming David and Louise from Green Kitchen Stories, which is um, a really beautiful blog which celebrates all things vegetarian, um, whole foods, good fats. And today what we're going to be talking about is their new book, Green Kitchen Smoothies. Um, we're going to demonstrate a, a lovely smoothie and... We're going to talk about what makes up the perfect smoothie. So can you guys tell us um, how you got started, how the blog took off? You know, what, what was your story? Our blog started basically with us two meeting each other. We're, we're a couple and uh, we met we met in Rome many years ago, nine years ago. And, and we uh, were eating very differently. I've, I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for 20 years or so. And uh, but. When I was living in Italy at the time, I was eating quite unhealthy. Uh, the Italian diet, yeah. lots of pasta and uh, and past the pasta and pizza and uh, ice cream and 
bread. <laughs> Sounds and, pretty good. <laughs> and then I met Luis. Uh, uh, you were there for, for for visiting a friend, and you you were eating very very differently than me. Yeah, I've always been very interested in in healthy eating and feeling good and. Um, we were eating very differently. I wasn't eating most of the Italian diet that David was eating. Uh, so we definitely had to find a way to... Be together. So you yeah. brought your health and you brought your veg, veggie yeah, exactly. kind of angle. Yeah, so when you eat out, it's it's quite uh, easy. But when you start cooking together, after a while we moved in together and started cooking, then we had to find a way to cook together. And that's how the blog started. We Us finding a, a way to cook to create green recipes that are centered around whole foods. And I think basically I had learned a lot about uh, about quinoa and whole grains and, and all that. It's a, it's a lovely blog, and I think one of the nice things about it is it doesn't say, don't eat this. It says, eat all of this yeah. and eat this extra stuff. So you're actually adding to people's lives rather than asking them to take things away. Yeah, that's... I think that's the kind of the main message that I got from it, which is we want to introduce you to all these great things which are going to you know, enrich your diet and make you feel a bit healthier and, you you know, you can still eat everything else as well. So I'm glad to hear that. That's exactly what we want to do. <laughs> we, 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 I think limiting and adding labels to what you eat is quite, yeah. quite dangerous. I think it's really good to have a, a, an open mind to food and love food and, and eat yeah. whatever you feel like eating. Yeah. So. And bringing that into your, your new book, I mean, you've gone, you've, you've written a couple of books already on vegetarian food and green food and then um, you've decided to move into writing a whole book about smoothies. Um, how did that come about? Um, so smoothies um, has always been very popular on the blog, and it's something that we make almost daily. Yeah. Um, and it can be everything from a breakfast to just a snack or something we make and pour into bottles to when we pick up the kids. So it's a quick fix as well. So, yeah, so. it's very quick, and you can throw almost Everything in a in a smoothie. Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna show us one of your um, what I'm calling smoothies taken to the next level because it's not <laughs> yeah. just a smoothie; it's kind of a smoothie with added bits. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about what's going into it. Yeah, so in the book we've we've uh, we've got loads of really really simple smoothies as well. The smoothies that my dad would make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just add things to blender, mix, and drink. There's a book right there. <laughs> yeah. So, but we also have like something we call showstoppers, which is like yeah. smoothies to the next level, and something you might. Uh, do for your friend or yeah. uh, or for some friends coming over. So this is we've we've done uh, we prepared a, a simple chia pudding, uh, which we do like all the time in in big batches and we keep in the fridge. Tell us about chia because it's one of those. It kind of slightly reminds me of tapioca. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it, it takes it's, for some people it takes some getting it's used a texture to. Thing, yeah, isn't the it? texture thing. I really, I really, really love yeah. it. Honestly, it's, uh, I, it's, uh, it's got that doesn't taste that intense, which which is nice. Uh, but it's Louise. Uh, you want to? Louise is a nutritionist. She knows yeah, so much the, more what's about. The, I mean, what's the, the good thing yeah. about it? Yeah. So uh, it contains lots of protein and the omega three fatty acid, oh, which nice. is difficult to find yeah. in a in a plant based diet. Because I was going to say normally that's a fish thing, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it is. And and it can be good for everyone to get it from different food groups. Yeah. Um, and chia seeds is uh, is Great. one of those. Excellent. Um, so so we layer the smoothie with chia seeds or right. chia pudding. Uh, so, so the we, pudding's made with chia seeds. Yeah. Chia seeds and plant milk. I mean, if you have almond milk, rice milk, coconut yeah. milk, uh, and you soak it for half an hour. Uh, 
plumps up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it's like thick yes. like a pud pudding and it's really nice in layers and it adds something. So when, oh, then we have a green smoothie made with kiwi and kale. Wow. And some avocado. And, and then we use frozen bananas. That's a great trick to add a frozen ingredient to a smoothie yeah. because you want your smoothie cold. Yeah. You always want it cold. So having, th I mean, when bananas go ripe, really ripe and brown, just chopping them up slightly to a plastic bag or, or a container in the freezer, then you have a great base for smoothies. And you've got you've got quite a high-powered um, blender there, haven't you? you? The type of blender that literally breaks everything down to yeah. a nice Yeah, exactly. Texture. I mean, that's, it definitely helps. But yeah. if you don't have a, a, a very high-powered blender, what you can think about, for instance, if you blend the kale, is that you add the, the leaves or, or spinach or things that mm. can be hard for the blender. You add that right in the beginning with the liquid. Uh, and then you blend it yeah. and then you're going to have, because that, that's quite easy for the blender, but and then you add like the thicker ingredients, bananas, kiwi, avocado, you add that later. And by then you've already got the liquid to exactly. blend it into. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, that's uh, a, that. a quick tip. So in this we have the kiwi, avocado, lime to for add some freshness and uh, kale okay. and a frozen banana. So and we're gonna quick, quickly whisk. whisk it now. All right, wow, quickest, great. quickest the, whisk the, ever. The color's fantastic as well. Yeah. It's bright yeah, green. It's yeah, it just looks like. A blended kiwi <laughs> or blended uh, kale. <laughs> So we're pouring it up now in layers. Luis had done this thing. It's you know, very pretty. It's yeah. got the, the chia seed on the bottom and then little slices of um, kiwi, kiwi on yeah. going on the side of the glass. And, and you just pour up some smoothie. Oh, nice. And time. then some So you can do, I mean, you don't have to do multiple layers. It's just a nice touch. Yeah. So the reason for doing this is also eating, eating with a spoon is yeah. more nourishing. It feels like you get... Comfort, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and you can serve this in a in a bowl as well if you if you prefer. And then should we have some more? All right. So one some more smoothie. And then what we usually do with this type of drinks is add toppings to them. Okay. So that adds also a crunch. And uh, so uh, what have we got here? This is so, an, a kind of nut butter. Yeah, that's uh, an almond butter. And if you're allergic to nuts, you can you can make your own yeah. sunflower seed butter, pumpkin seed butter. You can or or buy. A it's a lovely of, idea building up all the flavors as well. So every time you spoon in, you get a different exactly. sort of combination. Yeah, I think that's one of the things with all our like show-stopping smoothies yeah. that they change in flavor actually when you work your way through them. Well, this is the thing I'm really interested in. <laughs> there is a jar of fantastic looking, probably the best looking granola I've ever seen. Ah. And I just sneaked a bit of it and it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's a buckwheat and coconut granola. So, so it's, you were saying it's not very sweet because no. you know, a lot of granolas are just pure sugar, but this is, yeah. there's a way to make it without actually. Yeah, so yeah. we use half, half, we use a bit of maple syrup in it and then water to, to thin mm. it out. And then we have buckwheat flour and buckwheat groats and uh, oats. And the last pretty bit, some gorgeous little blueberries yeah. on top. Yeah. Lovely. I think that we're going to be able to get this recipe up on the website as well if anyone would like to, um, to come and try it. But... Um, if you also want to follow the Green Kitchen guys, then um, it's greenkitchenstories.com. 
um, on Instagram. GK Stories is your Instagram feed, David, I believe, yeah. isn't it? And I think, Louise, you've got a separate Instagram feed. Yeah, it's just called Louise Green Kitchen Stories. At Louise yeah. Green Kitchen Stories. Great. Well, thanks very much for coming in, guys. It's been a real education and <laughs> Thank I can't you. wait to dive into that smoothie. Um, <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. Don't forget to review and rate us on iTunes. And if you'd like to listen to any other great podcasts, can I personally recommend the History Extra podcast, produced each week by the team behind BBC History Magazine. They run interviews with the likes of Tom Holland, David Starkey, Mary Beard and Dan Jones. And it's just a generally great listen. Next week I'm on holiday, but Janine, our food editor, will be back with more great food news from why octopus is the hot new ingredient you should be trying this month to a special rum tasting, which I definitely did get involved with before I went away. Fear not. So happy cooking, happy eating, happy listening. And if you want any more details about any of the things we've been speaking about, you can head to olivemagazine.com and don't forget to buy our lovely magazine in all good shops or via our free app.